Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. everybody and welcome to why would you tell me that a podcast with me dave moore that man over there neil delamere and you the listener hello listener we like you very much hello Uh, (laughs) we're available on all manner of social media but we encourage you to use instagram as it's kind of an easy one and we have a good crack over there Uh, i'm at dave today fm neil is at neil delamere comedy the show is at why would you tell me that all those words together no underscores nothing complicated and of course we are proudly part of the acast creator network Neil, it's your turn to step up to this plate, if I can use some kind of weird baseball analogy that we don't really understand in Ireland. Uh, I'm going to serve you up a, a baseball of an invitation, and you're going to whack it into the end zone. That's a different sport. Uh, over the wooden wall uh, into the arms of a deserving child. Uh, that is your episode, which is the bat. As bad as that was, I am just secretly delighted that you didn't go for the only other baseball metaphor that we would know in this country, which is second base, third base. I think that would be <laughs> that would be that would be amazing if you said I, I'm going to allow you to get the third base on my mind with your handsy yeah. handsy facts of trivia. Um, so I think we're all grateful for yeah. that. You've given it away. You could you could have used that next week. You know what I mean? It was all it was there for you. Well, oddly enough, you've gone American sports, which oh, is yeah. actually what this. Uh, <laughs> Stop! No, yes, it, it is about well, it's about a sport that happened in America and an event that happened in America. In part two, we're going to talk to our first comedian guest on this. Oh. He did a whole show about the St. Louis Marathon in the nineteen oh four Olympics in Sorry, the Edinburgh Fringe some... Festival. When you yeah, as you say, do a show. You mean a comedian did a comedy show, a full hour long, well, very well reviewed Edinburgh Fringe Festival show on one event <laughs> in the nineteen oh four St Louis Olympics. Relatable, and it is brilliant. And the story is batshit. So we're going to talk to Nick Sampson in the second half. When somebody reaches backwards in time for a, a, a piece of comedy, right to nineteen oh four, that's yeah. impressive. When someone can create. An hour-long, well-reviewed Edinburgh special about a sporting event that took place over a hundred years ago. I am very, very interested. Well, hopefully, he knows his stuff and doesn't just stumble over the various sports references the way you did at the start of this. What? This that was I a mean, perfect understanding of of baseball. Yes, yes. If you build the analogy, there will come. Is that is that what you were trying to do? Take me out to the ball game. <laughs> um, well, listen, let's get into that in part two. Okay. Part one, I have an announcement. This is a proper pod announcement, right? Ah! We have gotten word back from on high and we did it. 
<gasps> from the episode the other day when we did the thing and we tried to put the word into the language. Yes, oddly enough, you didn't use any of the words you've already learned to make that <laughs> sentence in any way coherent. But yes, yes, for Woo! people... For people, yes, your woo is indeed merited. For people who haven't heard this, go back and listen to the episode a couple of uh, weeks ago. We had a material effect on a language. In our episode about how to get a word into a language. A positive material effect on a language, because you and I have had lots of effects on lots of languages <laughs> that have not been positive. I yes. draw you back to my earlier analogy as an example. Yes, and in fact, uh, the portmanteau of our names, Adela Moore, is a terribly executed podcast. <laughs> it's a new word that we've just coined. But we actually had a material effect, oh, a good effect on a language. No. Let me explain what happened if people haven't, yeah. if they've just joined in on this particular episode. Yeah. We did an episode a couple of weeks ago about how a word gets into a language. Not English, which kind of just is organic and takes it in, but Irish is what we use. But there's lots of other languages like this. So we asked the chief terminologist... Uh, of at first Nagelga, which is uh, responsible for um, promoting Irish, what the Irish word for super dodger is. And the best thing is, there isn't a word. That's why we started to stumble it's... across this this genius moment that Neil is now revealing to us. Exactly. So in English, we came up with this because uh, we didn't come up with the word, but neither of us have had COVID and we will be called super dodgers. It also, oddly enough, relates to Dave and his tax. That is a different episode. But <laughs> super dodger is somebody who hasn't called COVID. We asked him, is there a word in Irish for Super Dodger? And he said, no, we have an answer. The committee has met. It has looked at us. They didn't have a term for it. I got an email from Dunica and it says, I told the members about your request, presented my recommendations, and after some lively discussion, lively discussion, Dave, lively. Wow. The committee approved the following term. Uh, Super Dodger is a scuh eilahor. Right. Sco Elahor. Sco Yeah. The compound word was felt to be best with sco meaning super or ultimate. Because initially he had suggested sore Elahor, which I liked yeah. because sore rhymed with whore. Sore Elahor. But now it's sco Elahor is the best. It is on termadata, ye T E A R M A dot E, and you'll see these two terms listed. And do you know what? There's another thing we've missed. Yep. So Super Dodger. Yeah. This thing is where we've chosen. What's the baseball team in Los Angeles called? The LA Dodgers! Oh, Come on! Take me after the ball. It's the bottom of the ninth. And Ringo's on sixth. I don't understand. The bases are loaded with... With what, Dave? I don't know. Guacamole? If I've got anything to do with it, they are, that's for sure. I really hope there's two American guys doing a podcast about hurling. Uh, just <laughs> right now, there's a guy I, going, what? who's in the small parallelogram, Chad? I don't know, Dave, but you know he's what? good under a high-dropping ball. He yeah. shouldn't be in there. They're better better versed than we are in the sport of baseball. Apologies yes. to anybody who enjoys that sport for us yes. or butchering yeah. it. We just don't understand it, and if maybe somebody would explain it to us, we would have a better appreciation. I bet you there's a wild baseball story that we don't know. Maybe, just Ooh. maybe. I'll, I'll go look for in the next season because here's you covering sport in this one. Maybe I'll go and do it. You never know. Well, let, let us stick with that uh, country that has had the most cultural impact on on the, the Europeans in the last uh, 100 years. And you have to say it is America and you have to say this through their sports and you have to say this through their film and their music. Let me ask you, this is, I love this stat. 
This is the first stat of part one after a little announcement. What's happening now is that people are getting in contact with us and our friends and family are mentioning things to us if they have their facts that they yeah. break out in the yeah. pub. This is what happened the other day. My friend said to me, name the actor whose every film got an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. Every film? Every film. Oh, hang on. Is he it a was trick question in, where he only did one film and it got nominated and that's it? Uh, well, no, that's what I thought, right. and um, it's not. Every it's five so hang films on. in a row. Okay, so sorry, is he the writer, the director, the actor? What is he? He's an actor in an these actor. films, and his his performances in them may have been smaller. Yeah, he's a character actor, but you know they're yeah. pivotal to the films. And sorry, he wasn't. Was he nominated for for the actor? No, every every the, film, every film he ever in. was in. Got a Best Picture nomination. Jesus. No. <laughs> he he. Last Temptation of Christ didn't get it. I think. Um. Oh look. Uh, I'd just be having a wild shot in the dark. I have no idea who that would be. Okay. I hadn't a clue either. His right. name is John Cazal. And John Cazal. Let me explain who he is. Right. Let actually let me start with not his most famous role, but how he got it. Right. He was in a play off Broadway with Richard Dreyfus. Everybody will know Richard Dreyfus from loads of things, specifically. Uh, uh, Jaws, Jaws. Suppose, the big one, right? Yeah. Fred Roos and Francis Ford Coppola, ding, 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 uh, were trying to cast a certain role in a film that Francis Ford Coppola was about to make. Roos was a friend of Dreyfus, and they went to see this play called Line. It's 1971. And they saw John, John Gazelle, and the, they thought that this guy is the man who can portray the warmth, the gentleness, the vulnerability of Fredo in The Godfather. Wow. So this is his most famous role. There's a great documentary on him called I Knew It Was You from 2009, which references that line in The Godfather when Michael says to Fredo, I knew it was you. You know, he knew he'd betrayed him. Yeah. And in this doc, uh, they showed people on the street this picture of the cast. Think about that cast, Dave. Pacino, Brando, James Caan, and John. And And nobody remembers him. No. But this is the run. Do you want to hear the run? Of go on, go on, go on. Five, five. The Godfather. The Conversation. The Ooh. Godfather 2. Dog Day Afternoon. The Deer Hunter. Oh, my God. What a run. What a run is right. Yeah. Oh, my God. And every single one of them nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really good documentary. Um, he, he, here's a little potted history of, of, of the CV. Born in 35, which is kind of mad because it's the same year my dad was born, right? Mm. He, he studied theatre in Boston, moved to New York to become an actor. Uh, he survived by being a messenger, a photographer and a taxi driver. He, he and Pacino first met when they were teenagers and they were messengers at Standard Oil, right? Now, if you watch this documentary, Steve Buscemi, like great character actors, Sam Rockwell, uh, then also leading men, Al Pacino, De Niro. They're all talking about John Cazale. Gene Hackman. All talking about how good this guy was. Sam Rockwell says, he, it's not easy to play weak. Actors yeah. sometimes play, you know, they play strong. And sure. even if they play weak, they sometimes kind of get chippy the wink to suggest, you know, I'm really a strong guy playing yeah, yeah, weak. Yeah, 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 yeah. He absolutely, I mean, if you know The Godfather, if you know any of those films, he does vulnerability unbelievably well. So he is in The Godfather. Then Coppola writes a role for him in The Conversation with Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. Then Dog Day Afternoon. You know that one where they're the robbing the bank, Al Pacino. Yes. Sidney Lumet wants a 19-year-old boy for that. He wants the 18, 19-year-old young lad. Right. And Al Pacino goes, try John. 
And John at this point would be 40 something. Well, he's in his 30s, yeah, and he's, you know, receding hairline and he's he's quite thin and he, he's not kind of 18 or 19. He not looks boyish, entirely yeah. wrong. He's not boyish. He looks entirely wrong. He reads for the part. He was unreal. And you really believe he can lose it in that yes. situation in, okay. that, in that film. So, wow. so that's Dog Day Afternoon. Then he does The Godfather. When they went to him for The Deer Hunter, he had gotten lung cancer by that stage. Oh. And they wouldn't insure him. It was going to cost too much to insure him. And because if someone dies and you have to reshoot all the shoot mm, the scenes they're in, well, yeah. then that's going to cost too much. So they, they wouldn't insure him. Robert De Niro secured the bond oh to get him God. into it. Right? It gets better than this. After they did Dog Day Afternoon and The Godfather, he was telling Pacino that he met this girl and he said... Uh, he said to Pacino, she's the greatest actress you can imagine. And Pacino was like, Grant, I mean, he's in love. Like yeah. she, can't, she can't be the greatest actress ever. I mean, we've yeah. all said that. Um, no, he was in the play Measure for Measure, uh, William Shakespeare, with um, a woman called Meryl Streep. No, he wasn't. Yeah. So he oh was right. God. And they started going out. And they were That's boyfriend and girlfriend. Unbelievable. Yeah, and then he, he uh, got lung cancer. He died at the age of 42 with Meryl Streep, who was only 28 or 29 at the time, by his side, nursing him to the very end. And Pacino's amazing in this. He said, I think I learned more about acting from John than anyone else. But he also says in this kind of other moment that struck me from watching this documentary, is that yeah. he said how Meryl Streep, despite all her talent and all her greatness that we all have acknowledged since then, he goes, the thing that I still think about, apart from her talent, is how, how she conducted herself at that point and how good she was with, with one of his best mates. You think of Just her a in, remarkable in, dude. in her late 20s, peak yeah. of her powers, I'm sure would have been... You know, every offer from every movie company and director and studio to go and do this and do that and do whatever. But she was she was there for John. That's phenomenal. As well as doing all the work. Yeah. Unbelievable. Huh? There is the man. Who wow. Every picture he was in was nominated for best picture. And he never was nominated. Um, they got 40 nominations, those five films, 14 of which were for acting. But he wasn't nominated. But what an actor. If you go back and look at those, how good I he will is. Now. I definitely well will Well worth going to see. Yeah. There you go. Quality fact. Thank you very much. Love it. To my friend, Andy. Second fact for part one is another one I got from someone who we just encountered. We did the six o'clock show on Virgin Media a few weeks ago. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I do. And uh, uh, we were pushing the start to the podcast. And the research on that, Hannah said, I'll, oh, I love the show. I love the podcast. My only fact is, is why Sabutio is called Sabutio. And I was like, okay, please, <laughs> please talk to us about Sabutio. <laughs> How would you explain Sabutio to our non-Irish and non-UK listeners that might not be familiar with football? Okay, so... There is this, the, the global sport of soccer, or football as we call it, and obviously there are many versions oh, of that game. You're going back to basics here. I am, yeah. That you can play, uh, whether you're on the pitch with a ball, you're on a lump of grass with a friend, you're wherever you are, in a car park with a, yeah. a can, a crushed can, you can play football. But <laughs> the attempts to put that onto board games have failed miserably, with the exception of one, Sabutio. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah, it's it's um, you get these little plastic men on a semicircular base, and you can flick them and move a ball around a tabletop, which is cloth. No, usually, it's not it's not like table football where you're spinning the things and you're kind of it's yeah. high action. It's yeah. like calculated moves. You flick and you wait for the end result, and yeah. then flick again. It's not like flick, flick, flick. Everyone's flicking players at a ball. It's a cross between a Christmas crib and a football <laughs> table. 
Something like that. Okay. Well, you might have heard this song. That's the undertones. My perfect cousin, you will know that song. Great song. Uh, A former guest of the podcast, Paul McClune, lead singer of the undertones. Uh, You should check that out. It was the first episode of season three about the man who voiced the IRA. And guess what? It was Paul McClune, lead singer of the undertones. Yeah. And that's a little bit before his time with a different lead singer. But yes, same band. Uh, A Sabutio man was on the cover in red and white, which is the candy stripes of Derry City and massively successful. So we're talking about a game that is in the in the zeitgeist for many, many years. Right. Invented in 1946 by a man called Peter Adolf, right? Which is a difficult name to have, Adolf, in 1946. Yeah, would have changed it myself, I'll be honest. Yes, Peter Mussolini, I would have gone. Not too (laughs) far away from the roots. He was 30 and he was coming out of the RAF, right? And um, he was a keen ornithologist. Remember this. Okay. He was starting to collect rare bird's eggs, but that was quite seasonal, spring and summer. So what is he going to do in the autumn and the wintertime? I just really hope you're not going to tell me that he decided to play a a tabletop football game with these rare bird's eggs. And as each one of them cracked, he went, oh, well, there's another species got extinct. Get me the the wren of High Wycombe. I shall play with her eggs for the next round. If anything, I'm not sure my keen interest in these eggs is actually doing anything for the species, <laughs> as I appear to have destroyed most of the flora and fauna that I, I am such a big fan of. Just somewhere Attenborough is just... <laughs> yes, this is, this is what he did. He wiped out various bird species and then moved on to turtles. The, orig- the, the original ball for Sabutio was an ostrich egg. Of it course. was absolutely massive. No, he, he just remembered that he was interested in birds. That's right. all you need to I remember that. I remember that. Fine. Okay. And uh, there was a game called New Footy that was kind of similar to Sabutio, but he just assumed that it had gone by the wayside in the Second mm. World War. It hadn't, right? So he just, I'll do something similar. He didn't think about lawsuits because he thought it had gone. But their right. figures had these lead bases, which are heavy, hard to flick, and also that whole lead paint could kill you and wipe out your system thing. Yep. Is is not ideal. So he um, started attaching, he, he, a button came off his ma's coat. And he started using that as the base instead. Okay. Right? And they were originally kind of 2D cards. But anyway, so he, he developed Sabutio. He wanted to call it The Hobby. The Hobby. The Hobby. The Hobby. Okay, a little, a little bit blanket. A little bit bl- Exactly. That's what the patent's office went. Oh, it's a bit too vague. Oh, and, okay. And there's a guy called Tolkien, and it's dangerously close to his new book. <laughs> and he's into small people as well. And if you put, put Frodo onto a little base, it's just too similar. So there's a hobby falcon, and he's looking through all his books, right? And on various falcons and raptors and birds of prey and all the rest, and all those other birds that he wiped out accidentally, like you said. (laughs) Jesus Christ! (laughs) I mean, I have figured out a way to make the game last longer, but it does involve hard boiling the football. Um, (laughs) The Latin name for the hobby falcon is Falco Sabutio. Sabutio, I remember. I I did Latin for six years. (laughs) <laughs> you did, you, did you? Yeah, Six no, years. I did it for my leave insert. Of course, people don't know this, but Dave is slightly older than me. But when he did it for his leave insert, it was a living language. <laughs> no, he asked a, centur- a centurion, gave him grinds. <laughs> his first essay was, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. Or was that in Greece? <laughs> I can't remember. 
No, et, that was Romans, wasn't it? Et tu, Neil. Et tu. Yes. Um, no, I did. I did. I did Latin from a leaving cert. Uh, it's, it's actually one of the reasons why I find languages so intriguing and downright, I won't say easy, but less painful than most people find them. It's because yes. I spent six years studying Latin and it is the basis for the grammar for pretty much all of the Romance languages. So it makes a lot of sense. But subutio. So give me the, the definite Latin words again. Yeah, falco subutio. And subutio actually means close to a buzzard. Like a buzzard. Falco subutio. So you just saw the word and went, that looks like a cool name for something. He um he got 250 grand when he sold out of it. Four million quids worth in today's terms. On its headstone is an engraving of a hobby falcon. Falco subutio. Absolutely phenomenal fact. So thank you so, to Hannah from Virgin Media for telling us that. So hang on. So basically this episode is you taking claim for something we did in a previous episode and then stealing facts, two facts off other people. What do you mean stealing two facts okay. from other people? Uh, like taking, retelling, enhancing, like stealing. Uh, um, um, engendering a sense of community, um, bringing in a diversifying of our sources, right. um, osmosis of knowledge, promotion of inclusivity. But I mean, you, you can call it what you want. <laughs> Davius Maximus, go fuck yourself. <laughs> what a perfect way to end part one. <laughs> Join us at bar two. We'll talk to Nick Sampson, who actually, I, whose details I got from another friend of mine. He's <laughs> Thief! Thiefus Maximus! <laughs> he will join us in part two to talk to us about the adventure in over 26 miles that was the St. Louis Olympic Marathon in 1904. Stick around, it is worth it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? I'm delighted we are joined on the line by our first comedian expert. His name is Nick Sampson. And how did I pick him? Well, because my friend who listens to this show got in touch with us after the Moriori episode and said, you have to talk to Nick, who did an entire Edinburgh Fringe Festival show about the 1904 Olympic Marathon. And I said, that is <laughs> absolutely so up our street. It's ridiculous. So welcome to Why Would You Tell Me That? Nick Sampson, how are you? Oh, thanks very much. You, you've, you've sniffed out my ruse, which is uh, just to get on this podcast. The whole fringe uh, run was, was really <laughs> yeah. just for that one, <laughs> this one I opportunity. Mean, of all of the things to write an Edinburgh show about, I just I, it's one of my favorite things about that festival is it's so random. And you just get people <laughs> like you, Nick, who go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write an entire Edinburgh show about a marathon that happened a hundred and odd years ago. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, we don't even know if he's actually done the show. All we know that there was the poster and a venue is booked. This <laughs> this could entirely have been, have been an attempt to get on his podcast, as he said. Also, as a man who did an Edinburgh show about Vikings, because he thought that would get people to the show, I can completely get behind someone who picked a race from a hundred and whatever years ago. Did it work out for you, the Vikings? The Vikings theme. Oh, loads of people came. They were all dressed in horned helmets and it was a tough gig. But <laughs> they couldn't get parking for the long ships. There was a lot of pillaging. I'd like to leave that there. Um, <laughs> but I have since read up on this. And if you're going to pick any athletic event to do an entire podcast on, this is the one. Talk us through it there, Nick. Um, first of all, why was it in St. Louis? It's not the obvious place to have an Olympics, I would have thought. Uh, no, it was originally the Olympics in 1904 was supposed to be in Chicago. And Chicago actually won the bid to get the Olympics. But because St. Louis was hosting uh, the Louisiana Purchase Exhibition, which is basically like they them celebrating how they bought Louisiana for like <laughs> three bucks or something. Like it was like it was a big World's Fair, and they were having that in, in 1904. The, the bigwigs in St. Louis were furious that people might go to Chicago to see the Olympics. Oh, right. But they essentially stole the Olympics from chicago but they just sort of written to put on their own olympics in st louis if the um olympic board didn't give them the proper olympics they were like well if you don't give it to us we'll just have our own and nobody will know the difference so <laughs> so the olympic committee was like uh yeah okay you if you want it that bad you can have it so and did they give them the entire olympics or just the marathon they had the whole olympics there oh yeah. my god yeah and it didn't seem like they were very prepared for it uh, it was kind of, it seemed like a bit of a disaster. Like they had um, the water polo finals um, were interrupted when a farmer brought his cattle into the lake with a game <laughs> being. <laughs> you say interrupted, I say enhanced. I mean, 
I mean, there's one thing trying to tread water and throw a ball, but when a cow is humping the side of your leg, <laughs> I would 100% watch that. While that's going on, good on you. I mean, that's that's what, but a lot of them did get typhus from that. So. Oh, tremendous. Oh, yeah. okay. That's great. You're always getting typhus back then. Did, yeah, that was just standard. Yeah. People say about uh, certain football clubs in the UK, oh, they all have asthma. They all have asthma, and that's why they're allowed to take those particular drugs. I mean, you, you would imagine that you could take whatever you want if you'd had typhus. Like, I would be on every sort of EPO, I'd be on, I'd be on HGH, I'd be on absolutely everything. And um, it gets pretty dark in places. So let's kind of leaven it before. Before we get to that, and tell us who George Iser is. He he won six medals. Oh yeah, he's a, he won six medals in gymnastics. And the interesting thing about him was that he had a wooden leg. A gymnast with a wooden leg won six medals. Incredible. Did he use his wooden leg as one of those twirling batons in that particular floor routine? Yeah. Do you know when they say to you, you know, you have to be be one with the beam. Be the beam, be one with the beam. I mean, that is probably easier if part of you is part beam, I would have thought. So he yeah. won six medals, and uh, including three goals, gymnast. Amazing, right? But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the most insane marathon I think has ever been run. What time of the year are we talking about, first of all? Uh, it's the perfect time to have a marathon. Uh, August in America. It was uh, The temperature was um, 33 degrees, I think, 30 something like that 33 degrees with the humidity of 90 percent. i remember oh that. wow and like the heat index was like 50 degrees or something insane. I, for my honeymoon i was in the maldives obviously equatorial and very humid and i went outside in 90 percent humidity and i was wearing a sleeveless man united training top and i walked out and i looked down and honest to god it was like just drenched in oh sweat and I just turned around, went back into the house, put on a different T-shirt, walked out. The same thing happened. And I went, I'm just going to have to go with this. Like, this is what's going to happen to me now. Well, I'm an Irishman near the equator. It's just going to be sweat. So imagine running a marathon in that. Ah, yeah. And you know what? You were probably feeling very thirsty. You were probably thinking, you know what I need right now is a big old drink of water. Well, uh, at the 1904 Olympic marathon, um, there was a theory going around in the sporting community. It was, you know, sporting science was real, really in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and the theory was that uh, dehydration makes you run better. Oh. It helps you perform <laughs> athletes. Perform a, they were like, maybe we don't need water. <laughs> um, so they were testing out the effects of purposeful dehydration on the athletes. Um, by not providing any water to the athletes throughout the race. This is known in historical circles as the anti-leucosate approach, I believe. <laughs> so it's 90 degrees. Uh, Get those pesky electrolytes out of your system. <laughs> yeah, they'll only weigh you down, all that salt and water that all your cells in your body need. <laughs> so it's a, it's a horrific temperature. It's horrific humidity. Um, they're not being given water. I think there's one, possibly one water station that got 10 or 12 miles in. But as that's you say... Full of, that's full of cows playing water polo. <laughs> it's not working out for anybody. Yeah. Talk us through the actual course, though. Can it get worse? It sure can. Uh, so the course is like 25 miles. It's maybe not a full modern marathon length. And it's all through the countryside of St. Louis, which is um, oh. really, really, I've not been. I hear it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, it's uh, very, it's, in 1904, it's very dusty. It's very hilly and it's uh, sweltering. And yeah, so it's all, all these like long dirt roads through the countryside. And um, 
at the time they they they'd sort of just invented the automobile, like it was just on the scene. So people were out there driving on the streets, uh, but n- no one really knew how to drive, and um, they didn't think <laughs> close the roads or anything. So no. Um, while these runners were like running along the roads, they had all these support cars and and people in horses and bicycles and all these officials sort of driving along and, and running along to to help them. And what that ha- what that caused was this massive plume of dust, basically just right in front of the runners oh, to God. just <laughs> waft up into the air. So they were essentially running in a boiling dust storm for the entire race. <laughs> I'd imagine, yeah, like you know, because you see the current urban olympic marathons where every bit of road is closed off there's you know steel <laughs> fencing everywhere so the people can applaud along the way i don't think traffic management was number one in the minds of the people organizing the marathon this is really serious for one of the competitors he basically had to be brought for emergency surgery because of the dust oh no yeah william william garcia he was found just sort of unresponsive he swallowed so much dust that his stomach lining had ruptured Oh my god! And I imagine nineteen oh four, they would have been like, "Well, put the leeches on him, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> Give him some cocaine cola and put some leeches on him. <laughs> Who's got the leeches? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So, Dave, this is only the first part. Believe it or not, inhaling dust and ending up in emergency surgery is not the strangest thing to happen that day. Okay, oh, okay, let's keep right. going. We've got thirty-two competitors. Is that right, Nick? 32 competitors, 36 actually signed up, but only 32 turned up to the race. And talk us through <laughs> the them. The other four were in a ditch in the support car going, we'll get there soon, boys. These lads, Dave, are not necessarily the 32 best ath- athletes and marathon runners in the world. By the oh, way. they're just they're just kind of, they've just elected to do it. Well, no, let's, it's a mixture of, uh, of both. Maybe you'll give us a few names there, Nick. Okay, so uh, the, the names you need to know are... Uh, Thomas Hicks, who's a um, Englishman uh, from Birmingham, I think, and he had been living in America for a while. He was quite a good long distance runner. Okay. He'd been around the running scene for a while. Um, there were some big names in the running scene, some like some top top dogs. And but the marathon had only been going for about eight years, so people really didn't understand how these things worked, and people hmm. just sort of signed up for it. Um, there was this guy called Fred Laws. Who's an Amer- Who's a uh, New York um, bricklayer, and he won his spot in the Olympics by completing a seven-mile fun run <laughs> in New York. <laughs> he might as well be. He might as well be dressed as a rhino. Yeah. Like, this is the level at this dude, right? Yeah, but he's plucky. He's twenty-one. He's young. He's plucky. He's got a lot oh. to prove. Uh, I think there's one French runner. There's like a bunch of people from Greece. There's a team from Greece who, when they arrive, they immediately get sick from drinking the local water. I think is actually not very. It's not very good for you. Oh god. Um, there are two black South Africans um, called Len Tanyani and Jan Masiani. I think his last name is, and they're the first black Africans to compete at the Olympics. Right. Um, they are, I think, students in St. Louis who were there to also participate in the World's Fair in, in some way. So Len is is one of, one of them is is running barefoot, so he has no shoes. Uh, but they they were messenger runners back in the Boer War. Then the, okay, then the other guy you need to know is uh, Felix Carvajal. He's he's my favorite. He's he's incredible. He is five feet tall. 
Um, he has a thick handlebar mustache. He's got a beret. Um, everyone else is wearing running clothes, mostly, apart from Phil, who is a he's a, a Cuban postman, and he's um he's just turned up at the at the starting line wearing um heavy dress shoes, <laughs> woolen trousers, uh, like a billowy white piratey blouse and a beret. And uh, <laughs> the reason he's wearing this is because he's he's come from Cuba. He he, he raised money to get to uh, the Olympics by um, running the length of Cuba, apparently. Right. <laughs> paid him to do that. <laughs> and uh, he, he he raised all this money and, and he traveled to uh, New Orleans and then immediately just lost it all in a game of dice. Oh, His no. He broke and he was like 600 miles away from the Olympics. But he doesn't, it, this guy just does not care. He starts like hitchhiking <laughs> and running, basically just running to St. Louis. And it, and it takes two or three days. And by the time he turns up, he hasn't eaten or slept in about 48 hours while wearing dress shoes and a beret yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and just, just before the race begins someone um takes pity on him and cuts his woolen trousers off at the knees turns, oh, turns woolen basically yeah athletic gakwan turns up and goes i can do something with that outfit and just cuts the bottom of his trousers off i mean so this tiny little cuban man five foot tall half half the trousers are still there very mustache I, I, know, I know like we we've spoken about nike on this podcast and i know phil knight didn't kind of create the waffle running shoe until the late 70s and i'm so i'm, I'm not surprised that 1900 and whatever's marathon didn't really have the best shoes but dress shoes woolen trousers and a beret is an image i will never get out of my head for a marathon runner Oh, but there's there's an incredible photo of him at the starting line, uh, and there's one with all the runners actually, and and you can see you you could pick him out real quick. Um, <laughs> they all look like vastly unprepared for the race. So let me throw in some ancillary facts in here for you, Dave. Right, the 1903 Boston Marathon champion John Lorden, Irish born, yes, good man. Well, we should be happy with him, um, but he's running for the U.S. Boo. Began vomiting and walked off the track to register the first. Did not finish. Okay. So the first few hundred meters were uh, laps around the track. The two black South Africans were the only black athletes to represent South Africa until the end of apartheid, 86 years later. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And uh, Hicks, what was Hicks's job? Because you mentioned Thomas Hicks there at the start. His, his job was reputed to be something related to ours, wasn't it? From my research, I he was either a clown or a um a brass worker i'm not sure one of those which one of those oh, i mean they're interchangeable jobs yeah, really yeah. To think about it like why do you have a red nose either the heat from that furnace or <laughs> i am coco yeah so he's a he's a um bit of an underdog but he's like he's got a lot to run for sorry he can't be more of an underdog than the guy in the dress shoes and the wool trousers <laughs> surely surely he's got one up on him I think Felix is already Dave's favourite. So let's concentrate on Felix for a bit. He does reasonably well. He is a very good runner. He does reasonably well. But, I mean, he tends to get bored fairly easily, doesn't he, Nick? Oh, absolutely. So he... um... He spends a lot of time uh, stopping to chat to people along the road. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he runs backwards for quite a bit of it. Um, oh. He's doing like cartwheels. He's just a he's a goofball. Uh, he's a he's smoking. He's stopping stopping for cigarettes. There's a message from one of the race officials did a, like a a diary of the of the event, and he says that Felix stopped at his um, car where they were eating peaches and begged for some, and he refused. But but Felix Carvajal snatched two two pairs of peaches anyway and ran along the road. 
<laughs> he's in about eighth or seventh or eighth place for quite a lot of it. Sorry, look, he's in seventh or eighth place, stealing peaches, having chats, and doing cartwheels while running backwards. Like, this is the greatest race of all time. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, gets, no, no, no. It, it gets, gets better, better for Felix. It gets better for Felix. So, Felix, well, it gets worse for Felix for, for a bit because he, um, he stops in an orchard to pick some apples. But, he um, falls asleep, yeah. and then the turtle runs past him, and then he you, uh, you he absolutely does. He eats the apples. You're joking me. No, the apples are rotten, so he feels sick. So he lies down on the side of the road, and falls asleep, <laughs> and he is woken yeah. by a princess. <laughs> so, but while that while that is happening, he's having this fairy tale run. The others are just having this absolute like nightmare like they're going up these hills people just writing shitting themselves i imagine at one point um uh lynn lynn tanyani one of the south africans gets chased off the road by a pack of wild dogs uh dogs chase him for about a mile off the course uh, (laughs) before they give up (laughs) and um, other runners just get um just start vomiting and and there's a well about about halfway along the course where people start drinking but the well water is oh no it's not good for you so people start like i think shitting themselves it doesn't say specifically but i'm I'm imagining (laughs) um (laughs) it gets a lot worse for all of them but particularly for thomas hicks oh also sorry i should mention that fred laws the uh, young young new yorker yeah he pulls out at about nine miles he just okay uh, starts vomiting while he's running and he jumps into one of the cars that's driving along and kicking up all the dust. So you don't have to worry about him for now. Right, he's gone, so okay. Now, we normally, in that scenario, we would think it's ridiculous what he did. But last year, a Garda doing the Dublin Marathon got on a tram and <laughs> finished the race and has since been disqualified. And wow. they are called... They are calling him, Dave, have you heard the nickname that they're calling him? No, no. Carl Lewis, L-U-A-S. Our tram tram is called Lewis. However, we should point out one qualifying fact about this story is he's an anti-corruption policeman. Oh, he is not. (laughs) He's Ted Hastings. He's an anti-corruption policeman uh, whose situation has been corrupted. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I mean, he took... His inspiration possibly from 1904. Possibly so, yeah. Because yeah. Fred Lors comes back at the end, doesn't he? He sure does. Uh, so w- while while he's in the car, um, Thomas Hicks, is uh, he becomes the sort of front runner mm. towards the end. About half of the races, runners have dropped out by the halfway mark. And then towards the end of the race, Thomas Hicks is in the lead. And he's he's doing really bad. He's 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 just choking and vomiting. And, and he's really ready to call it quits but his uh one of the trainers uh in the cars decides to help him out and so he gives him a concoction um he gives a, first of all he gives him a lot of brandy uh they're not allowed to drink water they can have as much brandy as they like so he's <laughs> chugging back the brandy i think at some point um a, a, a spectator also gives him a flask of brandy of course so he's uh, he's getting quite drunk um but that's weirdly enough doesn't help him uh so he's starting to flag and then um this trainer uh, decides to give him a concoction of raw eggs strychnine and brandy uh, and strychnine is uh, was used as a muscle stimulant back then but now now it's more more commonly used as a rat poison yes it's uh, 
<laughs> it's, a, it's a, it really messes with you. And so he um he gives him a, a, two or three tablets of strychnine, which basically just make him lose his mind. Right. Um, and he starts hallucinating that the finish line is another twenty miles away, and he's just jabbering and and just going crazy and stumbling, but he's still moving forward. And eventually, he makes it to the finish line, and he's should be first, but um, at the finish line is uh, Fred Laws. Who was in the car? Yeah, so the car broke down. <laughs> and uh, Fred Laws, instead of waiting for them to fix it, just decided to run back to the stadium to to pick up his clothes, in quotation marks. And uh, so when he arrived... really the story of the garden. Neil was down. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much exactly that. He arrives at, he arrives at the finish line. Everyone cheers. Uh, they, they have no way. They've just been sitting around for like three hours doing whatever you do in 1904. Um and this guy arrives and they put him on a pedestal. And then basically Thomas Hicks arrives and everyone's like, oh my God, this is the real winner. And Fred just, Jesus. he just sort of cops up to it. Uh, and oh, he did? Oh, okay. Fred kind of goes, ah, I was only joking. Ah. Oh my God. And, and old Strychnine Hicks turns up. <laughs> so they gave him Strychnine twice, didn't they? Yeah, at least two or three times they gave him Strychnine. And uh, I... Th- I believe in the last hundred meters, he couldn't even walk by himself. He was just being held up. Oh, and one, and one the telling of it, it's, uh, it's he's actually being lifted off the ground, like the bobsled at <laughs> Pool Runnings, just like, being carried over the last <laughs> meters. Of course, with his legs on four people's shoulders. <laughs> I know we've given the Russians a hard time for you know state-sponsored doping, and I know we've had a go. Uh, your man, the cyclist, Lance Armstrong. We've had a go at him for all the stuff he's done. I think we need to respect the fact that the lads all did it, but it was in such a safer way than the officials were doing it in the 1904 marathon. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is the beginning of sports science. Do we think A, strychnine will help, or B, strychnine <laughs> might not be great for you? It would be a be really hard to um to, to quantify the results of that test as well because it's like maybe we didn't give him enough eggs that was the thing <laughs> maybe the strychnine low, up the strychnine dose and then lower like back on the eggs or brandy i don't know i told you it's strychnine armagnac and two eggs you give him that cheap cherry nonsense and the strychnine hasn't agreed with them it's still the slowest winning marathon time in olympic history by a yeah. good half an hour. I should hope so, because if anybody was ever slower than that. But get it, it's actually pretty fast. I look like it's three and a half hours. Yeah. Which is really pretty good. That's pretty <laughs> amazing. Considering all of the obstacles you've described, you know, enchanted orchards, <laughs> brandy flasks, dusk clouds, uh, crashed cars. I mean, three and a half hours is actually pretty respectable. It's it's the worst uh, percentage of finishers in the history of the Olympic marathon. Oh yeah, only fourteen people make it across the finish line. Oh my god! And uh, so one of them is our boy Felix. Right, so Felix. <laughs> while all that is going on, he wakes up from his nap and is just like good to go, and he keeps running, and he comes in, and guess where he comes in? Fourth. He does not. Having had a, a sleep, he comes forth. Eamon Coughlin trained. He was known as the chairman of the boards. He was so good indoor. I think he probably went to Villanova. 
He won world championships, but he only ever came fourth in the Olympics. Yeah. He could have had a nap and still <laughs> been fourth in the Olympics. I bet that annoys him, Dave. That annoys oh, him. That definitely annoys him. What a hero. Like, I don't think there's any other long distance run where you could claim to have had the experience that Felix has had and still come home. I, I narrowly missed a medal. Sorry, after what you just told us, you narrowly missed a medal. Incredible scenes. Um, he after after the race is over, he's uh, because of his impressive performance. The, the the Cuban government are like, we need you, my boy, for the next Olympics, and they give him some money to 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 go to the. I think it's in Greece. Mm. Um, he takes the money, uh, <laughs> it goes to Italy, and then uh, disappears, and and uh, he's presumed dead. His obituary is published. And then a year later, just turns up back in Cuba. I can Cuba <laughs> running the length of the country again. <laughs> I think Felix might be my favorite man in history. Like I mean, he's right, he's right up there, isn't he? I am so into this. <laughs> it's incredible. We should say the Strickling stuff. By the way, you were allowed to give them whatever you wanted in those days, so there was no kind of uh, performance enhancing drug rules. Neil, you yeah. remember when we talked to Lara, uh, double doctor Lara, in series one. I suggested, Nick, and I was I was given out to by Lara, who's a doctor, <laughs> that we should have races where you can just take whatever you want and just, oh, see, yeah. just see how far humans can go. But I didn't realize we'd actually done it. With, we tried it. We tried it. <laughs> it wasn't a great success in St. Louis. Strychnine wouldn't be first on the list, Dave. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to do poisons, you're going to start with arsenic alphabetically, surely. <laughs> I, I, I would have thought. <laughs> Oh, it's it's the eggs and strychnine mix for me. That's that's what's doing it. Uh, and by the way, the, the kind of very unsavory element of all this that uh, Nick kind of alluded to was the, the the two South Africans were there because they were part of the Boer War. So they had been Boer War message deliverers, shall we say, messengers. Yeah. And um, there was this really weird racist anthropological fair as well where they got indigenous peoples from all over the world and basically got them to do events that they'd never done before oh okay the whole of that uh yeah the whole of that world's fair is uh fucked up (laughs) (laughs) is uh is a a really horrible uh, time to look into you know it's much more fun to talk about the the silly (laughs) rat poison side (laughs) the rat poison dust cloud race is far more interesting (laughs) you know what lads i think walking away from this event was definitely the the sanest thing you could have done i mean (laughs) you know it's like why did why did you not run the race well, you know, the toxic dust clouds, the crashed automobiles, the sleeping postman who was doing cartwheels, and then the strychnine guy. I just figured, you know, for my own well-being, I just get home on the boat and go home. My favorite uh, part of uh, about the aftermath was that the um, the guy who sort of organized all of the St. Louis Marathon, <laughs> he rec- he went back to the Olympic Committee and he was like, guys, we need to cancel the marathon forever. It's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> just be like <laughs> i caused a lot of that disaster <laughs> yeah. your your one was a disaster that's my actually, dumb shit decisions but <laughs> it sounds like tory the tory party you know when they keep changing the prime minister and keep going well you know we just this is a new government i mean i don't know who's been in power for the last absolutely. 12 years but they're absolutely <laughs> disgraceful and you're going it's been you it's you <laughs> how did you come across this story how does a kiwi comic become interested in the 1904 St. Louis Olympics. I um, if you say I'm from a long line of strychnine makers, that would be absolutely <laughs> awesome. 
I'm actually in a, a humble egg farmer, and that's how I got it. Um, yeah. No, I just uh, I I was looking for I was working on a different show for Edinburgh and back in 2020, and then I just I think I saw somebody tweet a screenshot of the um, Wikipedia page, and I, I read it. Thought this is insane. I can't believe I've never heard of this. This should be a film. Like, why isn't this? Why is this a film? Uh, so. I, I sort of vaguely thought, oh, maybe I'll write a script about this. Mm. And then I, <laughs> wouldn't it be more fun if I played all the characters? And uh, and then maybe if I um, did lots of running, then, you know, I'll, I'll keep fit during Edinburgh. And uh, <laughs> I, try, I tried that. I got COVID. So oh, disaster. <laughs> it, was my, it, was my own, uh, it was my own marathon. But I, I've actually signed up for the London Marathon next year. So. Oh, wow. Will you be doing it in a beret, full-on handlebar moustache, Dress shoes, yeah. eating poison apples. I really think I should. <laughs> Nick, uh, you are the first comic. Usually, we get people who have a million letters after their name because we're like, "Oh, we're talking about something mad." This, I think, it can safely be filed under absolutely mad. <laughs> it's the most. It's the most. Why would you tell me that story? I think yeah. we've ever heard. Who better to tell it than a comedian, Nick? It's been oh, an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Uh, do you want to tell anybody about upcoming gigs or any uh, um, other podcasts you're doing or any of your other projects? If you say, "Well, I'm doing the 1908 <laughs> Olympic marathon," will you get a load of that? I'm actually gonna. I'm planning to do uh, another season of this um, next year to raise some money for the marathon uh, for charity. So yeah, um, brilliant. I out. Uh, keep that Google alert for Marathon 1904 uh, <laughs> hot in your browser, and uh, you'll, you'll hear about it. And you can follow Nick uh, with no K, uh, Nick Sampson on socials. Uh, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And uh, oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, Nick, absolutely brilliant, and thank you for introducing me to Felix. I just my life is richer now than it's ever been. <laughs> I think we need to go dressed as Felix to certain things and never explain why we look like him. <laughs> Well, I do the marathon. Can you guys come down and feed me um, brandy? <laughs> brandy and strychnine egg concoction is yeah. a guarantee. Cheers, guys. Welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? Well, Dave, the St. Louis Olympics marathon is one of the strangest races in <laughs> The history of sport, I think. It is crazy. And Nick told it so well. It's actually amazing to hear a comedian tell it because they tell it in a way that a historian wouldn't, that a journalist wouldn't. You know, they've, they've, they've found the uh, different angles, I think, which, you, you know, safe to say comedians' brains work differently. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and well, you know, I call myself a comedian, but also now I think linguist, given oh. the, the, the news we well, had. Yeah, linguist. look, what an episode. Not only did we have an amazing, uh, you know, amazing part one, amazing part two, but the key thing for me to take away from this entire episode is that we got a word, a word. Into, into Irish. Yeah. So I think it's like Samuel Johnson and then just below him in terms of their, their con- contribution to language, you and me. I think, you, I, I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's where we sit and I think we're you know we're not going to lord that over anybody but I think it's just no. important that we and, and all of our listeners understand that that's how important we are yeah yeah so I mean uh, certainly busts but maybe not statues yet no I think busts yeah. would be enough a small fountain a small fountain of Dave <laughs> in the nip pissing into what? a small I, fountain I, I know we got the word uh, super dodgery and what's the Irish word for overachiever because I think that's the <laughs> next thing we need to tackle well talking of the next thing we need to tackle what do you got for me next week oh Neil okay so 
obviously, you know, the, the St. Louis Marathon, an amazing human feat, uh, yes. you know, activity. How about the exact opposite? In next week's episode, we're going to tackle one of the best things in the world, sleep. Ooh. And we're going to look at the history of sleep. Wow, I didn't even know it had a history. Exactly. You consider me intrigued. Excellent. That's all I ever look for. And we'll do that next week on Why Would You Tell Me That? Go follow us on Instagram. He is at Neil Delamere Comedy. I'm at Dave Today FM. The show is at Why Would You Tell Me That? And if you ever have a suggestion for us for an episode or an idea or a single fact that you think is interesting, let us know. Send us a DM. Uh, tell your friends that we're there. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening. It'll be really helpful because it just makes more people aware of the podcast. And that's always a good thing for us. Yeah, write it on a wall. If there's wet cement anywhere, just put Why Would You Tell Me That? Five stars beside it. We will take <laughs> whatever we can get I've added a few more dates to my tour as well you can get them on neildelamere.com forward slash gigs or just slash gigs I don't know why I say forward slash well, anyway. why not? because there's a backslash too that will get you into the root folder of your <laughs> website and then you'd find all the things you're not supposed to find so don't do that. come in through DOS there's a special deal <laughs> talk to you next week good luck Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 